You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you want to turn to James chapter 2, we're going to continue in our series called Faith in Motion in the study in the book of James. And uh, it's been a I don't know about you, but it's been kind of a hard-hitting book to get into, and James has had some very important things to say to us, and hard truths maybe that we needed to swallow and understand, and and I think that's important. I think it's important sometimes to to do these things, and if you have your YouVersion app, if you're looking at your Bible on your phone, we... We have, uh, you can go there to the version, and you can select Whitefields as under the events and in there are all of my, um, uh, all of the Bible references and things that we will be looking at. But if you're with me there in James chapter two, verse 14, let's just read the text. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, and lacking in daily food. And one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that, that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let us pray. Lord, we just thank you for the scripture before us this morning. We just pray by your Holy Spirit that you would that you would open our eyes to what you have to say to us this morning, and that you would speak, speak your words of wisdom. As, as James chapter one said, if, if we ask for wisdom, Lord, you will give it. We ask for wisdom, Lord, to understand the things that you have for us this morning. And we just pray this time for your glory in Jesus' name. So today, with these verses before us, we kind of reach the summit or the peak of James's argument or narrative that started back in chapter 1, verse 21. If you remember, he said, therefore put all, away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves." And then James's argument here culminates with chapter two, verse 24, when he says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, for those of you who went through the book of Romans with us just last year, maybe, you know, there were some red flags going up, maybe some bells going off, you know, alarm bells. When I read, when I read that, you're like, isn't this like the polar opposite of what Paul was talking about in Romans? Like Romans 3, 28. 
we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or Romans 4, verse 5, to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. But then James tells us in James 2, 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? Or James 2, 24, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. So do James and Paul contradict each other? This will be one of the many questions we will answer today in our quest to know what it means to have saving faith. Many of these verses, they end in question marks. Seven questions in all. There's a lot of questions, and like I said last week, sometimes it's just important for us to just stop and answer the questions that the Bible is asking. And I hope after last week's message, you were, you were able to take some time to answer the questions that James brought up for us last week. And he's gonna do it again this week, and we're gonna stop and examine these questions in the light of God's word and look into that mirror that James talks about in James chapter one, verse 23. Like many of you, as we journeyed through the book of Romans last year, I didn't really have a sense of contradiction as I studied now through James. You know, Paul asked that question. He says, can I work my way to God? And his answer is an emphatic, no, you can't. And James asked the question, can faith without works save you? And James answers that question with an emphatic no. And as I mentioned last week, one of the, the joys, one of the pains maybe, one of the benefits in reading and studying and teaching the whole counsel of God verse by verse and chapter by chapter is that we can understand these things. Last week might have been painful for us as James encouraged us to search our hearts for partiality, for prejudice, this week it's a benefit because what seems like a controversy between Paul and James is quickly cleared up by just looking at the whole counsel of scripture. Just like 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for, reaching, for, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And we can take comfort in those words today as we seek to answer, we say, Lord, give us wisdom. Seek to answer some of the questions that James is asking. So let us begin. The first question comes in verse 14. And this first question is going to set up what the stage for all that is going to follow. Verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And I think understanding verse 14 can give us a greater understanding and a clearer view of where James is coming from and, a, and an understanding into what all that follows from this point forward. So who is this someone in this verse? Well, he or she is someone who says they have faith or maybe as your translation puts it, they claim that they have faith. And I think it's very important in reading this verse that we understand what is being asked. If you, if you tell me or you claim, you say, you, I have six fingers on, my, on each of my hands. Well, my next question, of course, is going to be, you claim that you have six fingers on each of your hands, but do you? you know, and most likely your response will be to show me that you have six fingers on each of your hands. And James says, well, okay. Since you say you have faith, how would anyone know? What does it mean to have faith? What is the definition of faith? 
As George Michael famously sang, you gotta have faith, the faith, the faith. Probably kind of setting myself back to the 80s then, but what is the definition of faith? Did you know that nine out of 10 people believe in God in this country? Nine out of 10 people believe in God. 56% of those people believe in the God of the Bible. And it says, and it's been polled that almost 80% of people claim they pray to God in this country. I remember reading an article many years ago in Time Magazine uh, on the topic of prayer. And, and they interviewed this prostitute that said she prays every day. She, prays, she believes in Jesus. She prays to God every day. And that God was completely fine with her chosen profession. He understood her circumstances. Now we're going to meet a prostitute later on in our text today who truly believed in the living God. So based on these numbers and what I just shared with you and the, and the reality that you and I see every day on the news or in our communities, there seems to be a de- disconnect somewhere in the definition of faith. There must be a clear misunderstanding of what it means to have saving faith. A sincere claim to faith is not the same as a sincere faith. Let me say that again if you want to write it down. A sincere claim to faith is not the same as sincere faith. What is the nature of our faith, of this faith? What does it mean to have faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, as James refers to him? We need to define our terms, I think. We need to define the word before we move on this morning because it's become a buzzword in our culture today. We have faith-based initiatives. We have faith values. We have faith-based organizations, faith-based counseling. Just have faith in yourself. We've become a faith-saturated society. What does that mean? What does this faith mean? The modern definition of faith, as defined by Webster's Dictionary, means the complete trust or confidence in someone or something, or the strong belief in God or in the doctrines of religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. Well, I think Webster kind of got it half right. Biblical faith is definitely not based on a spiritual apprehension without evidence, but in the person of Jesus Christ, in his abilities, his power, his will, his love for us. That undeniable change that has happened in my life, in your life, in the historical evidence for the death and resurrection of Jesus and the word of God written over the course of thousands of years by many authors, but with one undeniable and clear message. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. What is our primary act of faith. What is that primary act of faith? It's the complete entrustment of our lives to Jesus. Our complete commitment of ourselves to Christ based on his finished work on the cross on our behalf. His finished work. So what does it mean to have saving faith? But again, James asks the question, what good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith Save him. Then he gives us an example there in verse 15. If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Wouldn't life be easier if you were just able to kind of speak to things and 
It kind of happened, you know? Like, I'm sure you'd love to speak to your house and say, house, be clean, you know? It just doesn't work that way, does it? No, we have to. The reality is that will never happen. It requires you to actually physically plug the vacuum cleaner in, pull out that mop, pick up those clothes or toys or shoes or wipe down the countertops in the kitchen or put the dishes in, in the dishwasher. Well, that's what James is saying here. Telling a hungry person to be filled is not the same as actually giving them something to eat. Compassion has hands. Compassion has feet. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, was once quoted as saying, if you want to give a hungry man a tract, wrap it in a sandwich. You know, this seems rather obvious to us, right? Just that we would never walk up to a homeless person and just say such things without actually helping them. But as we move on, you'll, you'll see there was kind of probably an obviously some pushback from those that James was writing to. And for the Jewish person, the giving of alms, the, the giving to the poor, the, the giving of money or giving of, of food to the poor, this, this was equated with righteousness. As one commentator put it, giving to the poor could be the one defense with a Jew when a Jew stood in judgment before God. And one of the early Jewish rabbis is quoted as saying, everyone who occupies himself in alms shall behold the face of God. So you can see the brilliance here in James's illustration and argument. He's getting right to the heart of the matter with those that he's writing to. James essentially is saying, is it enough to say, is it enough to say that you gave to the poor? Do you actually have to give to them to be declared righteous before God? But even in our world today, I think, there's some pushback on this topic and maybe even a cry of legalism here and there. But there is a question I have for you this morning. Is it enough to believe? Is it enough to believe that Jesus is the Son of God to be saved? Is it enough to believe that Jesus is the Son of God to be saved? James is going to answer that question for us too. We get to verse 18, which is the whole point of this letter, I think, that James is writing. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. This is James' argument that faith and works cannot be separated. This is a false dichotomy that is not found in the scriptures and in the Bible. Saving faith will and must, will and must have an effect on our lives. If I raised my hand at church and, and I went forward for prayer for salvation, and there was no change in my life from that day forward, no fruit-bearing work in my life, I should question if my faith, if I have saving faith. If I went down during a Billy Graham crusade and I signed that salvation card and then just put it in my pocket and never acted on it, is it fair for somebody to question whether I have saving faith, whether there had truly been a change in my life? This is where I'll return once again to our supposed controversy between Paul and James. Paul says works have no value, no value in bringing you to salvation in Jesus Christ. This is very clear in our study through Romans. James says, though, your faith in Jesus has no value if it's not bearing fruit. Paul and James are in complete harmony with each other. And Paul will tell us in 2 Corinthians 13.5, he will say, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Question mark. 
unless indeed you fail to meet the test. James says, well, here are some tests. Are you a doer of the word? Do you have your tongue under control? Do you show partiality towards one another? Paul says, test yourselves. James says, here are some tests. Get to the heart of the matter. James's letter is not a contrast between faith and works. It's very important to understand this. James's letter is not a contrast between faith and works. It is a contrast between false faith and true faith. Again, I say a sincere claim to faith is not the same as a sincere faith. It is possible to consent to knowledge intellectually without consenting to the impact of that knowledge in our lives. This was James's example to us in verse 15 and 16. And again, I raise the question, is it enough to believe that Jesus is the Son of God to be saved if your life shows no evidence of this belief? James argues this point in verse 19. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe, and they shudder. James is like a great prosecutor, you know, one, in one of those lawyer shows right now. He's kind of giving his final arguments and kind of tearing down the defense's case point by point. Just wait until he brings in the Abraham, the great patriarch, into his final arguments. He says here, verse 19 again, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. James here is referencing the great Shema. It's the the great prayer, the important prayer of the children of Israel taken from Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. James says the demons know this verse. They know God. They know the Bible back to front. They believe in him. And what seems like kind of a humorous jab, but with a very serious point, he says even they shudder or tremble. The demons he seems to say, have more saving faith than you do. Their knowledge has brought about more of a reaction than you seem to have. Verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Have you caught, I'm sure, the seriousness of James's argument yet? James is not dancing around any topics here. He's just going straight to the heart of the matter. Have you caught the seriousness of that argument? This is the foundation of all that we call true Christianity. How do I know I am saved? We're never encouraged to act with ignorance in this area. The gospel doesn't just fly over my head. It needs to grab my heart. We're not in need of an education, but we're in need of salvation this morning. Not an educator, but a savior. Paul says, examine yourselves. He tells us in Philippians 2, 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If I become a new creation in Christ, there must, there will be a change in my life. It is the byproduct of a saving faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And when I say a new creation, creation, I mean the presence of his Holy Spirit, the presence of God through his Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. As 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That there is going to be a change in our lives. Martin Luther was once quoted as saying, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves us is never alone. 
And I love how Paul puts it in Ephesians 2. I think this really sums up the reality of James's argument before us, impassioned argument before us this morning. I, I, I think you can sense in his words he has a, such a passion and a love for those believers there in Jerusalem. Ephesians chapter 2. I think this really sums up the reality here. Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing, own doing. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And we say yes and amen to that. Paul says we cannot work our way to heaven. We've established a grace alone by faith alone. We all know this verse very well. It is one of the pillars, the theological pillars of upon which our Christian faith is built this morning. But Paul goes on in verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. One who is a new creation in Christ will walk in the works that God has prepared for them. We're not saved by works. We are saved for works. We're not saved by works. We are saved for works. And John said in John, uh, in, Jesus said in John 14, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. I don't know about you, but I find that very comforting this morning. But the sobering fact is that there are many people in church this morning around this country who have a false faith. They believe in God, but they have not committed their lives to Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand, the throne of God. As Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, not only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, but many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I would tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Very sobering verse in the, in the light of our text here this morning. And, and maybe that's you here today. Dare I say that there might be someone here who, who you believe in God, but you have not entrusted your life to Jesus. Maybe you think that going to church is enough, right? Putting a little FaceTime with the Lord this morning. Maybe, maybe even being affected emotionally by, by the message. Maybe, well, maybe you just like the people. You know, we're, we're a great bunch of people here, if I say so myself, but... But it would be a great shame this morning if you left without meeting Jesus, truly meeting Jesus, committing your life to him, repenting of your sin and accepting the gift of salvation this morning. And it would not be very loving of me to not point that out to you, to not ask the question that James is asking in verse 14. What good is it, my brother or my sister, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? This is the whole point of James's letter. And don't be, don't be sucked into that complacency and say, hey, I'm okay. Paul says, examine yourselves. I examine myself. I examine myself this week as I'm reading this text, you know. James encouraged us in chapter one to look into the mirror. Look into the mirror of God's word. What does it reflect back to us? My dear brothers and sisters, if you examine yourself today and you don't feel you have saving faith, come and talk to me. Come and talk to us, Pastor Nick, or one of the elders up here. We want to pray with you or pray with a friend that you came with or somebody 
with you there today. Don't let this opportunity this morning slip away and relax back into your false sense of security. These things are way too important. And James has made that perfectly clear to us as we've been going through this text in, in this series. So let's move on with James's final arguments. He's going to bring up two shocking examples for us. Two people, one Abraham, the great patriarch of the Jewish people, and second Rahab, a Gentile and a prostitute, both serving to show us what it means to have true saving faith. And after our study last week, when we looked at, we looked at partiality and prejudice, it seems natural that James here wants to show us that our standing in the world does not guarantee our standing before God. Yes, Abraham, the father of many nations, the father, the great patriarch was held to the same standard as Rahab, the Gentile prostitute, who, once she was confronted with the truth of God, acted on that truth with living faith and she protected God's people at huge risk to her own life, trusting in God's protection for her and for her family. She's even mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, what we commonly call the hall of faith, where it says she believed God. She believed God. Genesis 15 tells us that he, Abraham, believed the Lord and he, it was counted to him as righteousness. But James says, how do we know that he believed God? How do we know? We know that through his obedience and offering up his only son on the altar as God commanded. Believing that even though this was the son of promise, God would raise him up from the dead if he needed to. Abraham was, of course, justified long before he offered Isaac, but his obedience in offering Isaac demonstrated that he truly did trust God. Remember when James tells us in chapter one to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness? Well, Abraham's faith was tested. Abraham's faith in the very nature of God was tested. The fact that God's promises are yes and amen was tested. That God cannot lie, it was tested. He cannot deny himself. And he, God, had promised Isaac to Abraham. Now that promise was being tested. Abraham's faith was being tested. But he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What does that tell you and I to this morning? Is that if my faith is being tested, I can count it all joy. It's not usually joy within the test many times, but I can count it all joy because I know that my faith is real. My faith is living. Now don't get me wrong, this doesn't mean that you're you know, getting beat down every day, life stinks, and you know, every moment of every day you're being persecuted for your faith, but it will manifest itself in the daily choices you have to make as you take up your cross to follow Jesus so you choose to put on the things of the spirit and put aside the deeds of the flesh when we choose to walk in the light and not fulfill the works of the flesh. This is faith in motion. This is faith in motion. Did you catch that in verse 23? It says, he was called a friend of God. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. That should remind us of the words of Jesus in, Matthew, in John chapter 15, verse 14. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. 
you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Now, some of you have fruit trees in your backyards at home. How do we know that that fruit tree is alive? How do we know that it's alive? The life of the tree, it's in the roots. It's in the sap. It's, it's behind the bark. It's out of sight. How do we know that that tree is alive? We know the tree is alive when it starts producing fruit. The fruit is a natural byproduct of the life that is in the tree. Just like you and I connected to the vine, Jesus. We will bear much fruit as we look to him and we commit our daily lives to him. That work that he has begun, he will bring to completion. The life is in him. And as we come here to verse 24 of chapter two, we see that it's not as shocking as we first thought when we read it. Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. As new creations in Christ, our living faith is revealed in the fruit that it bears. And this fruit, these works point back to Jesus, the giver of life, justifying the very faith that we profess this morning. Like Matthew 5, 16 tells us, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Can we even preach the gospel without works? Is that even possible? What credibility does our gospel message have without the fruit of change in our own lives? What would be the reaction of this destitute man? He is He is starving and cold in the story that James gave us. What would be the reaction if I told him, hey, be warmed and filled in the the name of Jesus and I walked away? I'm sure you can imagine his reaction. Now, as we come to a close, I just wanted to share some things like what are some of the marks of saving faith? You're like, well, what what are some of the things that I I can test, I can see in my own life? What are some of the marks of saving faith? What is a faith that looks not to self, but to Jesus. It is a faith that agrees with God's word, both inwardly and in our speech, the way we talk. It is a faith that's grounded in what Jesus did on the cross and by the empty tomb. It is a faith that will naturally be expressed in repentance and good works. It's a faith that sometimes will doubt, yet the doubts are not bigger than the faith, nor are they more permanent in their faith. This faith can say, Lord, I believe Help my unbelief. It is a faith that wants others to come to this faith. It is a faith that not only hears the word of God, but does it. And so as we conclude today, I just wanted to bring us back to Ephesians chapter two. I think for me, this kind of sums up this, these two things, faith and works. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. I think what can be lost on us in a book like James is that you and I are not only saved from something, saved from something, rescued from the consequence of our sin, rescued from the wrath of God, rescued from the judgment of God on our sin, eternal separation from God. But we are saved to something. We're saved to something this morning. Yes, mercy triumphed over judgment like we saw last week. There was, there was not only mercy, we needed mercy. We need mercy. We were running away from God. We deserved every judgment that we received, but there was grace. 
amazing grace, unmerited favor. We're no longer called servants. We're called friends of God this morning, friends of God. We're not saved to a list of don'ts, don't do this and don't do that. We're saved to a life of freedom this morning, free to serve God, free to be a light to this world, free to show people what it means to live a life of equality, to, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to show, show people what it means to love every race, every gender, every culture, free to edify one another, speaking grace to one another in love. These are just a few of the works that we're called to and will be the fruit of our lives in Jesus Christ, the evidence of a changed life. And these will be the works that will bring glory to God and point others to the author of our salvation, Jesus. I think that's amazing, Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you for your gospel. Lord, we thank you for your mercy this morning. We were your enemies, Lord, just running the other way. And you took hold of our lives. You took hold of our lives. and You brought amazing change to our lives by your grace. And not only just made us right, but you have given us so much abundance. And Lord, we just pray that this, this new life that you've given us through the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would be wise to use it. And Lord, that you would continue to use us for your glory in, the, in these works that you've set out before us, Lord. Let us step out in faith and walk in the things that you've called us to do. Oh, we're so grateful for this morning. Lord, I just pray for anyone here this morning who does not know you, that they would just reach out right now and say, Lord, take my life. I repent, forgive me. I give my life to you. I commit my life to you. I entrust my life to you. I just pray you just grab, grab their hearts this morning, Lord. And just as a, us as a church, Lord, we just pray that the works that we perform, Lord, we just glorify your name, Lord, as we head out and do this Easter egg hunt and we, we minister and just reach out to our community, Lord, that it would just point back to you, that you would be glorified in all of that and in all of our conversations and all of our interactions that you would be glorified. We give you praise in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. 